Hi there, my fellow listeners. I just want to give a quick forewarning before I start off today's episode about the topic we're covering today, and it is going to be a particularly gruesome case cover today. And I just wanted to give a quick warning about this. If you are very um, if um things are like very gory or if they are very intense, I just want to give you a quick warning about that. If you cannot handle that sort of stuff, then I completely understand and. Thank you for listening to this, for listening to my podcast in the first place. So I just wanted to say that just in case, just as a warning to people out there. So let's get into today's today's episode. Okay, so this case takes place in Indiana. And this case is actually known as one of Indiana's most prolific and most awful crimes actually committed. Um, Even though there's been like serial killers, this is labeled as the most awful and most horrendous case that there is. Okay, so Lester Likens was born in the city of Lebanon, Indiana, with only an education of an 8th grader. He worked tirelessly at multiple jobs, some being more odd than others, just to support his family. For example, he worked in laundry routes, in factories, and even owned a very unsuccessful small restaurant. Wish I knew the name of it, but I do not. So eventually, he became a carny and worked along, worked the concession carts alongside his wife Elizabeth Likens, who you can also see as who's also seen as Betty Likens. It's an interchangeable. Her name is Elizabeth Likens, but people call her Betty. So Lester and Elizabeth Likens raised a family of five kids, with Sylvia Likens being the middle child of the bunch. Now, she was born on January 3rd, 1949, and she was a child in between their parents' two sets of fraternal twins, Diana and Daniel being two years older than Sylvia, and Jenny and Benny being one year younger. Now, Sylvia's younger sister, Jenny, had suffered from polio, which caused one leg to be weaker than than the other. She had a very notable limp as well, which caused her to wear a steel brace on one leg, So, the family, the marriage, well, yeah, the marriage between Lester and Elizabeth was not a very stable one. They moved frequently due to their job and being part of the carnival, and they experienced some severe financial difficulties. The sons of the family, though, regularly traveled along with the parents and helped out a whole lot. However, they were not fond of Sylvia and Jenny traveling a whole lot with them during their travel yeah during the traveling so they often stayed with family members one of them being i think their grandparents most notable ones so now during their teenage years sylvia likens like her father earned money from multiple jobs such as babysitting running errands etc and often gave part of her money to her mother sylvia was often described as beautiful friendly confident young girl who was known as Cookie to her friends. She also had a fondness for music, one of her favorite artists being the Beatles, and was shown to be very protective of her younger sister, Jenny. Now, she already sounds like an amazing person in general. Yeah, just in general, she just sounds amazing. Now, on July 3rd, Elizabeth Likens was arrested for shoplifting, causing their father to try and find places for the children to stay at. He eventually 
found a place for both Jenny and Sylvia to stay at, and that would be the home of Gertrude Banizowski, which would be located on 3850 East New York Street. So this was a mistake on his part. Um, his mistake was not looking on the house at the time before deciding to let his daughter stay there. You see, the house was covered in filth. There was hardly any. Uh, there was hardly enough beds for the children, and there was not even enough food to feed one person, let alone ten. Later on, Lester would regret this judgment for the rest of his life. So let's get on to Gertrude. Okay, so Gertrude was born on, born as Gertrude von Fossen in the year 1929. She was the third of the six children in her family. So not much is known about her past, but what is known is that her bond with her father was a very close one, while her mother was the complete opposite of that. So in the year 1940, the father of Gertrude died of a heart attack, while Gertrude sat there and watched him die all of a sudden, right in front of her eyes. Years later, she would drop out of school at the age of 16 to marry a 18-year-old deputy named John Beneshowski, which she has four children with. John had a very violent temper and often beat Gertrude up for, quote-unquote, annoying him. They stayed, they stayed together for 10 years before divorcing each other and Gertrude obtaining custody of the kids. That same year, Gertrude meets Edward Guthrie and marries, but eventually he divorced her after three months. So eventually, Gertrude gets back together with John again and had two more children till permanently divorcing in 1963. At this time, Gertrude was 37 years old and then began another affair and moved in with the 23-year-old Dennis Lee Wright, who also abused her. Um, she became pregnant twice with Dennis, but unfortunately miscarried one of the pregnancies. The child that was born was named Dennis Jr. and would be her last child, leaving her with seven children in total. So, soon after Dennis's Jr.'s birthday, Dennis Wright Sr. left Beneshowski and disappeared. She was So she was forced to raise all seven of her children alone, with little payments she received from John Beneshowski and the small jobs she was doing around town. The financial problems also became worse after her 17-year-old daughter, Paula, was three months pregnant after a fling with a middle-aged married man. Keep that in mind. At the same time, Gertrude's health started to drop and deteriorate out of nowhere due to her being chronically ill with several unknown illnesses, where she also stopped practicing proper hygiene and barely ate. So this would cause her physical appearances to drop considerably. Now, in July 1965, Paula Beneshowski met up with a friend who introduced her to the neighbor's girls. Those girls happened to be Sylvia and Jenny Likings. Likens, yeah. Paula took the girls back home where they sat and drank sodas and listened to music. When they heard of the Likens' problems, they took the girls in at the house and when Lester would ride back home, 
the friend Apollo told him that his girls were staying at the house of Gertrude. However, Gertrude did not reveal herself as Gertrude Benajowski, instead as Mrs. Wright. After a conversation, this led this is what led to Lester making the unfortunate decision of letting both Sylvia and Jenny Likens staying at the Benajowski house in which he would send $20 a week for the girls. Now, let's get on to the girls' lives staying at the new place. So, within the first week, Sylvia and Jenny's lives were pretty normal. They were actually pretty good. Um, nothing bad happened. And they started attending church and attending high school. However, one of the payments that Lester that Lester was supposed to send failed to arrive, which started the abuse at the home. This is quoted from what Gertrude had said, quote, I took care of the bitches for nothing, end quote. Which she then forced the girls to lie across her bed with their skirts and underwear at the ankles while she beat their bottoms with a paddle. Now the next week happened, where Sylvia and Jenny went through the neighborhood garbage cans to collect Coke cans in exchange for money to get candy. When they returned with the candy, however, Gertrude accused them of stealing the candy, and when Sylvia tried to explain herself, Gertrude also accused her of lying and made her bend across the bed, while once again she beat her bottom with a paddle. Later in the week, however, the Pendashowski children came to their mother after a social at the church, and explained that they were revolted at the amount of food Sylvia was consuming. Gertrude then confronted Sylvia and told her that she was so angry for her ruining her appearance and forced her to eat a hot dog piled with condiments. Sylvia then vomited due to the amount of food she had consumed and was also forced to consume her own vomit at the request of Gertrude. So, this is when things start to go downhill. But at this time, Lester and Elizabeth Likens actually visited the, visited the girls twice. But they were forced to lie out of fear of Gertrude punishing them. So they lied to them per Gertrude's instructions. So this is when the actual torture ensued. So in August of 1965... Gertrude overheard Sylvia recounting that she had once let a boy feel her up, which she then caused which then caused Gertrude to explode with obscenities. One of the things she had told Sylvia was that she was a prostitute and told the household that she was pregnant because she let a boy touch her vagina. Benishowski then proceeded to kick Sylvia multiple times in her crotch, and later when Sylvia tried to sit in a chair, Paula threw her right off of it, saying, quote, You ain't fit to sit in a chair. From there on, Sylvia was constantly told that she could no longer sit in a chair without permission, and she was constantly used as a plaything by the older children who were there and proceeded to beat and push her downstairs. Later the next day, supposedly, Sylvia and Jenny were spreading rumors about Paula and Stephanie, who was the second oldest child, 
that they were having sex with boys in, in exchange for money. When Stephanie's 15-year-old boyfriend, Coy Hubbard, heard about this, heard about Sylvia and Jenny spreading rumors, he came to the Benizowski house and proceeded to beat Sylvia. And from then on, Hubbard was always encouraged to come into the house and practice his quote-unquote judo moves on Sylvia. From then on, the torture escalated. Sylvia ended up stealing a sweatsuit from the school due to Gertrude not giving her the money to purchase one. She needed it for one of her classes. Now, when Gertrude found out, she ended up coercing Sylvia to confess what she had done, and which then followed by a segue of the conversation, which... Okay, let me rephrase that whole thing. Gertrude found out and coerced Sylvia to confess to her crime, quote-unquote crime, which was then followed by Gertrude segueing the conversation and calling Sylvia a prostitute, which she then proceeded to throw Sylvia on the ground and repeatedly kicked her crotch once again before she went back to the ceiling and she lit a cigarette and burnt her fingertips of, burned the fingertips of Sylvia for having sticky fingers. So after that said incident, the smokers of the home began putting their cigarettes out on Sylvia. Some time has passed, and the Lycan sisters began to sell old soda bottles for money. Upon their return, Gertrude once again persecuted Sylvia and accused her of prostitution. Now here comes the part where, if you want to skip a few seconds forward, I completely understand. So, her, Sylvia's punishment was where she was dragged into the living room and forced to strip in front of the sons of Gertrude and other neighborhood boys. She followed along, she followed along with this out of fear for Jenny being beaten. Gertrude had threatened to beat Jenny if she did not comply with her demands. So, once she was fully unclothed, Gertrude handed her a glass soda bottle and forced her to masturbate it masturbate with it for the boys in the room. So, besides the abuse and torture, the girls had their freedom and well, their social lives in general. They, had, they went to high school and they had multiple chances to report Gertrude, but they feared that if they said anything, nothing would happen. They feared that no one would help and that it would just make things worse for them. However, after the incident with the soda bottles, Sylvia was no longer deemed fit for society and was locked in the basement. Sylvia was forced to live in the basement where there was not a toilet for her to defecate, causing her to use the restroom on the floor. This then set Gertrude into a rage again, which began the bathing regimen she had come up with to quote-unquote clean her. So this regimen consisted of the claw-footed bathtub being filled with scalding hot water, binding Sylvia and then repeatedly dunking her into the water. So following the baths as well, Gertrude would then rub salt into the burn wounds. So that's just awful in general. So during this whole period, Benizowski enlisted the help the listen okay, let me Repeat this bullet point again. 
During this whole period, Beneshowski enlisted the assistance of a 14-year-old boy named Ricky Hobbs in dealing with Sylvia. He followed any orders given by Beneshowski, and this is allegedly both Hobbs and Beneshowski were lovers. It's disgusting in general, and but this is how, allegedly, this is how Gertrude ended up enticing Hobbs into torturing Sylvia. So, this whole thing then turned into a sort of opportunity for the children of Gertrude to make money. They charged the children of the neighborhood a nickel to watch Sylvia nude or to even push her down the stairs into the basement where she is not bathed and she is put up on a sort of display. She was not even fed regularly, and the few times she was, it, it was in weird ways, where one of the instances, she was forced to eat soup with her fingers. So, there was a few more instances in which the girls were almost rescued, actually. So, around the period of Sylvia being tortured, their older sister Diana was contacted by Jenny and was told that and she was told what was happening and even told her to try to contact the police. So at first she had her suspicions thinking that, oh, they just don't like it there. They just want to come live with me and my family. But eventually Diana grew suspicious about this and visited visited the home to seek her sisters. So her suspicion quickly grew once Gertrude refused to let her inside the house, saying that her father, Lester, left specific instructions to not let her in. Diana was then threatened with the police, which she then quickly left, but hid right near the house. When she had the chance, she saw Jenny outside in the yard, and when Diana asked about what was happening, Jenny told her that she was not allowed to talk to her and ran away. So obviously, being the concerned older sister, she contacts social services. When they arrived, Gertrude quickly came up with a story that Sylvia ran away and that she was also kicked out for being a dirty person and a prostitute. So of course, the social worker just leaves and just makes and makes the report saying that there was no need for further investigation. So that was the one thing that just sent me off about this case, among multiple other things. So a few days after, a few days before the awful event, on October twentieth, Gertrude contacted the police to arrest a boy at her home. This boy was Robert Robbery Bruce. Let me say this again. This boy was named Robbery Bruce Burst Hanlon, who was just a local youth who claimed that the Benajowski children had stole stolen things from him. He had went to the house to demand the stolen things back, but when she refused, Robert attempted to sneak into the home to get them back. When he was put into the back of the squad car, a neighborhood neighborhood gal, Phyllis Vermillion, came to his aid and spoke on his behalf, detailing that she had heard the conversation between him and Gertrude. The next day, Benajowski demanded that her son, John Jr., Coy and Stephanie to bring Sylvia up to the basement and tie her to a bed. Benachowski then proceeded to tell her that if she can go the whole night holding her bladder, she could be brought back upstairs. So this thing was just twisted in general. Like, 
there was no way Sylvia could actually do this. Like, she was beaten. She was traumatized. So, forcing her to hold it in all night, that's just something that she could not do. So, the next morning, obviously, Sylvia's bed was discovered that there was it was wet, and she was forced to repeat the same act as she did before with the soda bottle in front of the neighborhood boys. After she was finished, she was allowed to dress, but a few moments after, Gertrude brought up the rumors Sylvia spread about Paula and Stephanie and declared, quote, You have branded my daughters, so I will brand you. End quote. She was then forced to strip naked, tied down and gagged while one of the children was told to heat up a sewing needle till it was glowing orange. Yeah. This is this is going to get awful. I promise you this this is this is not going to get better. Gertrude then proceeded to carve into her ad- abdomen the word I'm. She did not finish this however and told Hobbs to continue her work. He proceeded to carve the phrase I'm a prostitute and I am proud of it. He only stopped when he asked Gertrude how to spell prostitute, and she wrote it down for him, and he continued. So, after Gertrude was satisfied, she left the room, leaving Hobbs and the 10-year-old, Shirley, with Sylvia, where- wait, Okay, let me re- reread that once again. Okay, I'm, I apologize for this. So, after Gertrude was satisfied with the outcome- she left the room, leaving Hobbs and the 10-year-old Shirley with the needle, where they gave Sylvia one more branding. This branding was an S, branded into her chest to either stand for Sylvia or slave. Halfway through, though, Hobbs messes up and ordered Jenny to continue it. Despite being threatened, she refused this, and Hobbs instructed Shirley to continue. Shirley, like Hobbs, choked and accidentally carved it backwards into a three on Sylvia's chest. Sylvia was then brought into the basement, only to be taken out again to, weirdly, Gertrude letting her sleep on a bed. So she slept and she was allowed to sleep until noon on October 23rd, when she was brought into the room where Benajowski and Stephanie gave her a warm soapy bath. After this said bath, she was dressed and dictated to write a letter to her parents. So for some reason, this is weird. Sylvia told her to start off the letter with, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Likens. So if you're telling a child to write to their parents, they're not going to write, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Likens. They're going to write, Mom and Dad. Or Mommy and Daddy. It's not going to be, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Likens. So this is just the first flaw. And Gertrude's plans for the future. So I'm going, I'm going to read the letter aloud. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Likens, I went with a gang of boys in the middle of the night, and they said that they would pay me if I would give them something, so I got in the car and they all got what they wanted. And when they got finished, they beat me up and left sores in my faces and all over my body. And they also put on my stomach. I am a prostitute and proud of it. I have done just about everything that I could do just to make Gertie mad. And cause Gertie and cause Gertie more money than she got. I've torn up a new mattress and peed on it. 
I also I have also cost Gertie doctor bills that she really can't pay and made Gertie a nervous wreck and all her kids. So then she was instructed to not sign it, which added on to the strangeness of the letter in general. So after the letter, Gertrude Benizowski started to come up with a plan to have John Jr. and Jenny take Sylvia into a nearby dump and leave her there to die. This is where her plan starts to go off the rails and she is trying to get this done fast because of the cops in general. So after Sylvia overhears this, she tries to make a break for the door. She tries to escape through the front door, but because of the lack of nutrition and the wounds, she was slow and Gertrude was able to catch up with her and drag her back in. Which then, after calming her down, Gertrude proceeded to try and feed her some toast, to which Sylvia attempted to eat it, but she said she could not swallow it. This prompted Gertrude to grab a curtain rod in the kitchen and beat Sylvia in the mouth with it. The next day, on the 24th of October, Benishowski attempted to attack Sylvia with a chair, but she misses it and breaks it against the wall. She then attempts to try and beat her with a paddle, which only caused her to miss and hit herself in the head with her own paddle, leaving Gertrude with a black eye. So this is the this is the minimum. She deserved that completely, okay? She, des- she deserves a lot more, but at least she got that. The, not saying that, yeah, she, yeah, she, deserves, she deserves it more to happen to her, okay? So, seeing the commotion, Hubbard beats Sylvia unconscious with a broomstick. So, apparently, over the night and into the morning of October 25th, October 25th, Next-door neighbors were confused with the sound coming from the Benizowski household, and they thought that they should call the cops, but ultimately decided not to. This, however, this sound, however, turned out to be Sylvia beating the basement floor with an iron shovel. People in the story, completely awful. The next day, October 26th, Benizowski had intentions of bathing Sylvia in a warm bath. She ordered Stephanie and Ricky to bring her upstairs, and they laid her in the bathtub, fully clothed. Quickly after, however, they pulled her out, realizing that Sylvia was pale and not breathing. Stephanie then quickly gave Sylvia CPR, but Sylvia was already pronounced dead by the time she was set, by the time she attempted. Later, it was revealed that Sylvia died from by, died. Jeez, I am, I'm sorry. I apologize once again. Later, it was revealed that Sylvia died more than likely because of brain swelling, internal hemorrhaging of the brain, and shock induced by Sylvia's extensive skin damage. Gertrude quickly instructed her children to take Sylvia's body into the basement and strip her naked. Hobbs was then told to go to the nearby payphone and contact the police. When the police arrived, Gertrude gave them the letter that she had forced Sylvia to write. Seeing the police, however, and seeing it was a way to escape the home, Jenny Likens whispered to an officer, Get me out of here, and I'll tell you everything. So this statement, and also the discovery of Sylvia's body in the basement, led police to arrest Gertrude Benizowski, Paula, Stephanie, 
John Jr., Hans, and Hubbard. And this also led to the arrest of other neighborhood children who joined in on the torment and torture of Sylvia, who were arrested there for injury to a person. So, Gertrude and their kids, Hobbs and Hubbard, were held without bail pending the trial. So, since Stephanie was a minor, she was treated to a separate trial. And before she even had it, all of the murder charges on her were dropped. Then, during an autopsy, Sylvia's body was found with over 100 cigarette burns and multiple second and third degree burns with bruising, muscle, and nerve damage. Sylvia was found with bite marks through her lip, meaning that she had completely tore right through it, and her lips were nearly severed off of her. Her vaginal cavity was basically swollen as well. It was basically swollen shut, and a more thorough examination, her hymen was found intact. This completely discredited Gertrude's claim that she was a prostitute, and even if she was, she did not deserve any of this whatsoever. So, like I said earlier, the cause of death was brain swelling, internal hemorrhaging of her brain, and shock. So let's get to the actual case. So the case so the case was the case of the state of Indiana versus Gertrude Benajowski, John Benajowski, Paula Benajowski, Ricky Hobbs, and Coy, Coy Hubbard took place on May in the year 1966. The prosecution wanted the death penalty for all of them involved, including John and John and Hobbs, who were 13 and 14, 14 at the time. Paula's court trial was, however, interrupted when she was dressed to the hospital and gave birth to her baby. Remember what I said earlier about keeping that in mind? Um, Gertrude consistently said that it, this was the whole lie, but this just gave proof that Paula was pregnant at the time. So obviously, as any normal person normal person would do, she proceeded to call the na- to call the baby Gertrude. Isn't that wonderful? So during the other kids' cases, they were all represented by different attorneys who all tried to shift the blame against each other and the other defendants. During Gertrude Benajowski's case, however, her attorney attempted to shift the blame to the children, deeming Gertrude was too weak and chronically ill to commit all these atrocities. Most of the damage done to Gertrude was from her own self-incrimination, though. She said aloud that Sylvia Likens was being the neighborhood prostitute and accused her of starting fights at home. To try and back this claim up, the 11-year-old Marie Benajowski was called to the stand. She, at first, she agreed with everything her mother said until she was cross-examined. She then took everything back. She said that, she, and she said and told the court. Let me let me restart the whole thing again. Okay, I'm sorry. She agreed, and with she agreed with everything at first until she was cross-examined. She then took everything back that she had that she had said previously and told the court in graphic detail about how her mother and siblings murdered and tortured Sylvia Likens. So after that, some of the aftermath will be aftermath will be infuriating, but let's get to it. 
Um, Paula was initially convicted of second-degree murder. She appealed to the courts and granted a new trial. But before she could take place, before that trial could take place, she struck a plea bargain and pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter. She served three years in prison and was granted parole. John Benajowski, Hubbard, and Hobbs were convicted of voluntary manslaughter and sent sentenced to juvenile detention center for 18 months. They were released, and with Hobbs, the, re the realization of his crimes really suck in with, sunk in, causing him to have a mental breakdown. This sent him to a spiral, spiral of heavy chain smoking and caused his lungs, by the time he was 20, to decay. One year after, one year later, after he was 20, 21 now, he died of lung cancer. Then the Lady of the Hour, Gertrude Benajowski, appealed and was given another trial where she was found, once again, found guilty. She was sentenced 18 to life. However, over the 18 years, she was deemed a model prisoner due to her work in a sewing shop and being a den mother to younger female inmates. She was given parole in 1985, and she was already nicknamed Mom. So the news of her, her parole sparked rage in the Indiana community, which it likely should have. Jenny Likens and her family made guest appearances on television shows to speak against Gertrude. And over the course of two months, groups such as Protect the Innocent and Society's League Against Molestation gathered 4,500 signatures demanding that Benizowski should be kept in jail. Despite everything, however, she was given parole, and during the hearing, she said, quote, I'm not sure what role I had in it, because I was on drugs. I never really knew what I never really knew her. I take full respons responsibility for whatever happened to Sylvia. End quote. So she blamed this whole thing completely on her children and then completely blamed it on drugs. She can't just do that. She she killed a 16-year-old who was just in her house for like 3 months. Seriously, like she's an awful she's an awful person, okay? So Gertrude Benajowski walked out of prison on December 4th, 1985 and left to Iowa under a new name, Nadine Von Fodan. Yeah. Names. If it's any consolation, though, she died in 1990 due to lung cancer. So, there's her comeuppets. So, most of the whereabouts about the children, the fates of the... Jeez, let me... I keep having to restart everything. Jeez. So most of the whereabouts and the fates of the Benajowski children are largely unknown. Paula moved to Iowa and went under a new identity, though some claim that she is still alive and moved to a farm on the Iowa countryside. John Benajowski changed his name to John Blake and worked as a truck driver and then became a real estate agent and a lay minister. He was never arrested again, and he married and had three children and lives in anonymity. An anonymity. Anonymies. Yeah. So, that's it. That's the case of Sylvia Likens and the murder of Sylvia Likens. Um, once again, I apologize for this train wreck and me just getting tongue-tied over every single thing I say. 
Um, hopefully this won't be like this next time. It's mostly like this because it's like two in the morning right now. I apologize, but this is the only time I, I can record actually. So, um, I hope you all have a good day and hopefully this generally ruin your views on humanity. Certainly ruin my views on humanity. So I hope everyone has a good day and I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you.